Cyber Warrior Network eSports podcast, where we discuss everything cybersecurity and identify talent in technology through eSports. CWN is launching the first cyber eSports league that validates cyber skills and matches players to fill real-world cybersecurity jobs. From 2014 to 2016, Nigel LeBlanc, a United States Air Force veteran, served as the Cyber Veteran Program Manager for the state of Maryland, where he helped veterans launch businesses and careers in cybersecurity. Today, he serves as the founder and CEO of Cyber Warrior Network. In 2020, at DEF CON Red Team Village, a 14-year-old girl placed in the top 25 of her cyber esports tournament. Play well, get hired. CWN, a league of their own. And now, your host, Nigel LeBlanc. Hi, everybody. Welcome to DEF CON 29 Red Team Village, hosted by Cyber Warrior Network. Today, we're here to talk about the future of women in cybersecurity in a discussion sponsored by One Login. My name is Amanda Lee Keemer, and I am based here in San Antonio, Texas. I am the founder and CEO of Jobilude, a small business focused on the intersection of tech, people, politics, and art. Today, I'm going to introduce our speakers, our discussion folks here in the room with me. And so let's get started. So first we have Kathy Ahuja. Kathy is the Vice President of Global Compliance and Information Technology at One Login. We also have Annalise Bonia, rising leader in cybersecurity, who placed top 25 last year in the Cyber Wraith Tournament. We had Neve Muldoon, Global Data Protection Officer and EMEA Trust and Security Leader at One Login. We have Vanessa Pigueros. Chief Trust and Security Officer at One Login. And last but not least, we have Rachel Ward, our Security Technical Program Manager at One Login. And we have everyone's bios on the event page where you can view, as well as LinkedIn profiles and see more information about their background. So thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. So let's jump into the discussion around women and the future of cybersecurity, future of women in cybersecurity. And let's start with a pretty basic question. So how were you all introduced to cyber? How did you get engaged? And let's start with Annalise. Yeah, I was introduced to cybersecurity during my middle school years. And my dad brought me into it. He sat me down at his table and kind of forced me to look at all of his work. And now I'm interested in pursuing a career in that field. Thank you. Thanks, Annalise. Let's go over to Kathy. Hi. So it's such a great question. And I think that, you know, for somebody at at my career stage, I mean, really, security was kind of something that nobody really could tell the difference between that and compliance or even IT, maybe even 20, 25 years ago. So I started my career in security because I had this role as an IT analyst very early in my career where I had to like review roles and privileges to for different users. And it actually ended up keep sending me more towards the compliance side of security because I found it fascinating to have to think about 
like how it is that we design roles to make sure that the right level of privilege is assigned to people. So that was my first introduction to cybersecurity. Nice. I love that. Thanks, Kathy. So let's go to Neve next. So how did you get introduced to cyber? What was your entry like? So cybersecurity for me, I fell upon it accidentally after September the 11th happened. I was working as a Lotus Notes developer for an Irish financial and um, they were looking for somebody to join the security team to help them specialize in coming up with security products or secure ways that they could access data on mobile devices. So you probably remember the PDA laptops. And I'm so happy to say 25 years later, I'm still working in access control, identity and access management, the industry. Thank you. Let's see. So let's go to Vanessa next. So Vanessa, how did you get engaged with cyber? What was your entry point like? Yeah. So one of the companies I was working at, and I've worked with many, I think 12 different companies in my career, but they did, they brought in an external penetration tester to, to see what they, if they could break into their networks. And the company did it pretty quickly, broke in pretty easily, got to like the most sensitive information. And the executive vice president, it was a very large company of the company, basically pulled one of his vice presidents in and said, you know, go dedicate a director to go fix security. It was a simple, you know, simple task. So, so I, w- I got pulled in as a director at the time and the, the, the VP looked at me and he said, yeah, we need you to go fix security. And so I was like, uh, at that time I was leading um, more technical teams, like on next generation architecture, so in- engineering teams, security wasn't like a super big focus. So but I just basically said, okay, and that launched my now 18-year career in cybersecurity. Got it. Thank you. I love that it sounds like so far, and I know, Rachel, I have you next too, but there's a technical entry point, right? Whether it's coding or security or IT, um, but it turned into something bigger, right? And obviously, you know, you all have gone into leadership roles since then. So it'd be really exciting to hear more about that in the discussion. So Rachel, for you, how did you get engaged with cyber? What was, what was that like for you? It's actually not like that for me. So I started playing video games and I was about four. I got a Game Boy original in the late eighties and I kept gaming all through school, all through high school. And I started getting into software and hardware that allows you to hack into games and I first started with my favorite, Harvest Moon 64. Shout out to all of the farming sim players out there and learning about coding from a player perspective, how a game is put together so that you can kind of take it apart and make it do what you want it to do. I went to college and I studied psychology and music, so really didn't have anything to do with anything technical. And eventually I got a job at a large video game company as a game master. I started out doing the normal kinds of problem solving, but I pretty quickly started looking at game logs, looking at everything from chat between players to complex events and various triggers and how loot tables worked and learning about how coding turns into something that you actually interact with as a player. A few years later, a job opened up as a data analyst. So I was fighting fraud and bad actors, people who were cheating in the game, 
from just behavior perspective, heuristics, all the way to code injection using custom software. And I did that for a few years and it was like peeling an onion. Anytime I learned more about security, I learned more stuff that I didn't know yet. So I kept learning on my own. I watched a lot of videos. I was learning about networking and I got an opportunity to work as a project manager within our security team. And so I was working with our entire organization. So it wasn't just about the individual games. It was also about our environment and keeping bad actors from accessing sensitive information about our players. And from there, I was brought on to OneLogin just a couple months ago. And our first core value is security first. And so regardless of what kind of position that I have been in, that's been my mindset this whole time is thinking about it from a perspective of how can a bad actor try to attack us and how do we plug those holes before they get exploited? Thank you. I think that's really interesting. I think like you and Neve have this connection or tie or similarity with the service component, right? Like there's a service component of being in security that you're protecting and serving a community, right? Bigger than yourself. You may never meet the people that you're protecting, but it sounds like that was something that pulled y'all into this space, right? Like the opportunity to help people in a different way and protect. And even in the gaming perspective, right? Like to keep it fair. (laughs) You don't want to have folks cheating. That's not fun for anybody. So thank y'all. I think those are all really interesting pathways into cyber. So I guess it only makes sense next to go into gaming, right? I think Rachel kind of opened that door for us. And we're here, right? At DEF CON, we're at a routine village. Everybody has really fascinating backgrounds and expertise. But we know this community has not always been welcoming to women, has maybe not included women, either from the gaming perspective, like through the games, or from a security perspective as engineers, as technical experts, subject matter experts. So I guess coming back to you, Rachel, and then maybe kick it to others that want to chime in, you know, how do you change that environment? How do you build a culture of trust within gaming specifically, right, that is friendly to women and young girls and acknowledges that we do game, right? Like you don't have to be a paid gamer, but you're in this space, right? So how do you how do you build that community of trust? How do you get folks to start respecting women more in this space? I think it's two areas of responsibility. There's the game communities themselves. And then there's also the developers, because there's a lot of things that the developers can do to support an environment where everybody has equal access to the game, that they're not having toxic behaviors and environments. There's a lot of different methodologies, depending on the kinds of games. Some take a really strict approach where there's just no chat or interaction between players, and they just have standard emotes or standard messages that are encoded in the game all the way to like MMOs where people can say whatever they want, but then there's a reporting system to hold people accountable that the community can also engage with to report toxic behavior that they don't think belongs in the community. And then from more of the community side to take some more personal responsibility that when you see a behavior that you think is unwelcoming or that is not inclusive, to do something about it, to tell that person, hey, that's not cool. Or for the person who's being negatively impacted to just check in with them and be like, I see you. I am here to support you. What can I do to alleviate this situation? And sometimes that's really hard, especially depending on a game that's really fast paced that you don't really have time to type out these long form messages. So just taking a second to real quick, like, hey, are you okay? That wasn't cool. 
is something everybody can do. Yeah, I love that. I love that it's it's a taking personal responsibility piece too, right? Like if something's wrong, instead of being an observer, right, to, to stand up and, and speak out. Yeah. So Annalise, I guess going over to you, you know, as a younger gamer, you know, what do you see? Do you see that changing? Do you feel welcome in the community? Are there things that you want to see that are more welcoming for folks uh, like you that are younger and coming up in this space? I do see, like Rachel said, I think it is important for the community, the gaming community to be more reflective and to have personal engagements to recognize these toxic and unwelcoming behaviors. Um, And I think people are starting to create their own communities to help make more safe spaces for those that may be excluded and I think that's great. And it really makes the, whether it be gaming or just trying to get into something in general, more inclusive. Yeah, I love that. Neve, are you trying to say something? I'm sorry. Did you jump in? Oh, I, I didn't jump in, but I, I can add to that from my side. It took, when I was working in an online games company, it took the site to go down and me being able to speak up to the board and explain why the site went down to get them to kind of notice. And they didn't notice at the start. So what happened, the site was DDoSed and I told the NOC, the network operations person, what to do um, to prevent the DDoS because we got an alert um to run the script basically and they didn't do it they said i want to hear from a technical security person so the site went down and the company lost a couple of million over the weekend so i found myself in front of the board explaining myself and i basically it was my job on the line i basically stood up and explained what had happened to the site and that you know i had told them what to do and they had ignored it um, I didn't see anything change initially, but the next time there was a big event um, on their site and where I issued the same command, I could see what was happening. The company actually made five million. So from that, the HR team were asked to work with me and putting a diversity and inclusion program in place for their IT team and the whole company. So sometimes it's, it's, it's taken the personal responsibility of having your voice heard that causes the change got it thank you for sharing that i think it's interesting to hear that because it sounds like on one hand you know you're trying to grow as a technical expert in your skill set and your expertise and at the same time you it sounds like you're also volunteering or possibly being voluntold to help with diversity inclusion equity you know how bringing in other women so that sounds like a pretty heavy burden to carry in the workplace. So I wonder maybe Vanessa or Kathy, from your perspectives, you know, with almost two decades, right, of experience in this space, like how do you, how do you see that changing or has it changed? Or do you still see that women are being called to do both, right, to be an expert, a technical expert and a programmatic expert and a recruitment expert and a retention expert, you know, the list goes on and on. So how do you see that in this space? I mean, I, I'll, I'll say that in the 18 years of being in security um, and security leadership positions, I, I don't think it's changed that much, unfortunately. You know, in some ways, I almost think it's maybe gotten a little worse because um, when 
when you think about like literally we're in this new kind of war, right? Cyber is the kind of new frontier of warfare. And I think oftentimes people, when they think about war, they think about, well, the best leader should be a man, like, because like men have been the leaders in wars, you know, and that's because the wars used to be based on your physical, you know, your physical strength or something. But these wars are different. They're based on mental strength and mental innovation and mental capacity. And I think that you know, really, you need uh, more, you need more women in this new kind of warfare. Women, every red team or blue team should have women in. And if they don't, they should ask their, they ask the question, why? Because women uh, bring something different to the thought process, to the problem solving, to the communication. And if you want to have the best team, you've got to have like some women in the team to, to help with that. And so I think, you know, this is definitely, um, something that continues to need evolution and we need to continue to get better. And I wouldn't say we're where we need to be at this point. Yeah, I'll just add that. I think that it's always a silver lining opportunity, right? You, 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 we tend to, as, as humans focus on the things that we feel that we're the most vulnerable or the weakest at. And, you know, when women, I think, are continuously pushed to provide that level of technical expertise, if that's not necessarily something that they're being relied upon, they're getting that ability to kind of build their muscle power in that area or just being able to broadcast information that they already know. And I definitely experienced that many times in my career when, at least on the compliance side of security, where I really had to justify why something had not worked the way it was supposed to be working in an organization. And I felt that my my I was called upon not just to be able to explain what the deficiency was, but really help the organization decide, you know, help the organization make decisions as to how they were going to fix it. So it's been it's been always an opportunity for me to push my my knowledge to the next level. Got it. And I guess just a quick follow up on that. So we're we're talking about right the future of women in cyber. So thinking about it from that perspective and knowing that there's a lot of work here, right? And hearing Vanessa say it hasn't changed, right? And if anything it's gotten worse, you know, what what keeps you in this field? Right. Like what keeps you motivated to come back to work, pick it up the next day, even for maybe Annalise. Right. Like knowing that this is still a tough industry to break into. Like what drives you all to stay in this space and to continue sharpening your skills? And I'll just leave it to whoever wants to jump in first. I can go first. <laughs> go ahead. Great job. <laughs> So for me, one of the things that keeps me going is working with people who treat me like I should be treated, like a person, and that if I am making statements that they're not second-guessing my expertise, that I am allowed to be autonomous. Yeah, I have leadership that believes in me and lets me do what I'm good at. And that was true at my previous position, and it's true at One Login. When I was looking for a job... That was my primary focus was to find a place that had the right culture already. I'm not really in a position where I want to spend a lot of energy trying to fix an environment. I want to find an environment that's already awesome and make my contribution, be a value add. And I think that while as a whole, 
tech is still really struggling, I think that there are pockets, there are individual places that are already there, that are already awesome places to join up. Got it. Go ahead, Kathy. I was just going to say something similar, but, you know, I think that, you know, we all keep hearing about the, the, you know, the plethora of opportunities that exist in tech. But I think that plethora of opportunities really allow you to hone in on what you're good at. I mean, and that is something that I think that, you know, not many industries have. I mean, in fact, right now I'm mentee, a couple of young mentees that are thinking of leaving healthcare, and I'm trying to push them towards the technical compliance side of healthcare, which is, of course, mostly focused on privacy and cybersecurity. And really, it's it's just so fascinating how many different ways you can slice a cybersecurity opportunity within almost any industry. So I think one of the wonder, wonderful things that keeps me intact is the fact that I can be pretty selective with how it is I choose to shape my career. Even later in in this late stage of my career, I think that it's a really it's it's a it's a great opportunity for me. I think that's great to hear because I think what's also like an underlying theme of what y'all are saying is there's independence in this space, right? If there's something that's not working, you can hop over somewhere else, right? And like Rachel said, if you don't want to put in the work necessarily, you don't have the energy or or capacity to do that and build that culture from the ground up. You can go somewhere where you're, you are, right? Where you're appreciated, you can grow. And maybe later, if you want to take on that task, you can, but it sounds like you have a choice, right? Which ultimately comes down to having independence to choose and having the option to choose, which is not true in all fields. Amanda, I would like to, I would like to really like emphasize that. Like, and I encourage young people in their career early, if you're in a, if you're in a culture that's not supportive, or if you're in a job where you're not growing, you know, leave, go, go work somewhere where they do appreciate you. A lot of times young people come to me and they'll like, what should I do? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, are you happy? Are you doing what you like to do? Are you growing? And they're like, well, not really. Then I'm asked, I asked them, why are you staying there? Because there's so much opportunity right now. And smart companies are going to realize and smart leaders are going to realize that the way you're going to attract talent in the future is through the culture of your company and your work group. And if people feel included, if they feel like they can make a contribution, if they feel like they're making a difference, they're going to come, they're going to want to work for you and your company, even though it may not be the highest salary. So that this is like interesting. Like I'm not telling people to take less salary, but when I am telling companies and leaders out there, it's like, it's, it's not just about the money. Like people can be making a lot of money and not be happy. So if you want to have an environment where you're attracting, you know, great female talent, you've got to work on the culture and that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Got it. And I guess like one thing before I shift over into a different topic, maybe Annalise, from your perspective, like coming up in this space, you know, having been through the tournament last year, gone through coding classes, right now being in high school, you know, what is it that's exciting to you about a career in this space? Like if you could have any job or make it up in your head, combining so far what you really like about the field, what would that look like? Oh, clarify the question, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that's fine. So if you are, if you're looking ahead to maybe an internship or a job opportunity, 
you know, if somebody said, hey, I really want to hire you, you know, what do you want to do? What would you want to work on? What are some projects that you would want to pursue or learn? What would that look like? Do you have an idea of what's exciting to you about cyber in that way? Not at the moment, no. I'm still trying to break into the industry, see what kind of things I can specialize in. And it's a really, really wide field. And all of them are important in their own ways. And I'm still trying to find my little specialty. But cybersecurity has a lot of different aspects to it. So in a way, anyone, no matter what industry they're in, like healthcare or agriculture, they can implement cybersecurity in their day-to-day lives or the day to work anytime. Got it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. There's definitely a lot of ways to be engaged in the space. So I think pivoting, I guess, a little bit or digging a little bit deeper into something that was mentioned was around the role of, you know, culture and an environment. And I think that goes into mentorship, right? Sponsorship, like leadership in this space. So I guess I'm going to go back to Kathy. So in terms of, you know, building that sisterhood, having a trusted community in your career, like what have been the benefits for you? Like, what do you see as the pros of having that space? Because I think sometimes people think, oh, women just want to have their own space. Like they don't want men to help. Like I don't really have a role to play. But obviously, you know, there's there's benefits to having a community, right? And I think Annalise mentioned that too with communities or people creating communities, safe spaces for themselves. So what have been some benefits maybe for you that you've seen in your career of having those spaces? Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the benefits for me have for as a woman, woman in tech and specifically in cybersecurity have mostly come from leaning on women's circles, to be completely honest with you. I've tried to focus a lot of the of the the mentoring relationships that I seek from female leaders, because I think that a lot of them have paved the way with some of the challenges. I'm also the mother of three daughters, and one of them is heavy, heavily, she's a developer at Microsoft. And, you know, she's also kind of shown me that not much has changed in 20 years. You know, and so for me, I'm looking at, at relationships with women that have had a lot of opportunities to see how uh, problems can be solved in a, in a in a pretty in a pretty female specific way. Like, what are the what are the challenges that you've experienced when you've tried to to provide a technical solution and you haven't really been a voice at the table? So there's been there's been a really a variety of different ways that I've approached it, and I've mostly re- received that benefit by being pretty active. And of course, one of my top mentors is right here on the call. My my manager, Vanessa, who's our CTSO here at One Login. She's a leader that I've I've really sought mentorship from both at One Login and in previous roles at other companies. So having a trusted mentor, somebody that can tell you not just what you're good at, but also, in fact, more importantly, what you need to work on has really been helpful. And I really encourage young people that are, are looking for a mentor to seek that level of honesty and criticality so that they can improve. I love that. I'll say, you know, as you're talking, one thing that reminded me of in the conversation around culture 
is in one of my interviews, I had my boss or my future boss ask me, and he's a male, he's older. He asked me, how will I know when you're overwhelmed? I had never had anybody ask me that in an interview. And it was such a good question, right? And it speaks exactly to what y'all are saying about culture and about support and about having a, a really strong environment conducive to probably failure and mistakes, right? But it's saying all of that with just one question, right? I thought it was such a great question. Like, how will I know when you're overwhelmed? And like verbally, right? How can I communicate that as a candidate, right? Am I strong enough to say, hey, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm confused with priorities. What should I be learning? You know, where can I redirect my energy? But also nonverbal cues, right? And at the time I was into jump roping. So I said I would bring my jump rope to work. So if you see me jump roping in a hallway, I need to like relax. But maybe that's different for other people. Maybe it's, you know, going for a walk or going up the stairs or just chatting in a hallway. You know, some of those things we don't have now because of the pandemic um, and we're working remote. So it's a little tougher to build that community. But I think you're right that having, you know, trusted people in your circle, particularly other women is important and knowing where to find each other. I think I'm also a little biased because I went to a women's college for undergrad. <laughs> so I, I really do see the strength in having a global network. So I hope that if there are any women listening into this conversation and then, you know, if a woman comes up to you and asks you for space and resources to create this kind of community, I hope that folks will be more likely to say yes and ask, you know, what you need and how to support that. I think another thing to consider is that we have this gap right now. We have gaps in wealth, we have gaps in pay, but we also have this gap of power and position so that right now, especially in tech, it's dominated by men and it can be frustrating trying to find women to support you. And I just want to say it's okay to find men who are mentors and sponsors. My last manager was my mentor. He saw a lot of qualities in me that he knew that he'd be able to help me grow my career. And he came from a disadvantaged background. He was an immigrant and he was in a position in his career where he wanted to mentor people and spread around that position and power so that other communities that are marginalized would be able to grow more also. And I, I really appreciate everything that he was able to provide for me because now I'm able to turn around and give that to more women and women of color. And I'm also first generation American with a disadvantaged background. So I appreciate that I am now in a position, even though I'm kind of in the middle of my career, that I'm already able to start paying back what I've learned. I love that. I, I wanted to kind of add the, the an important distinction between mentorship and sponsorship. So I always, I like tend to bring this up a lot. So the difference between a mentor and a sponsor is uh, a mentor could be inside the company, outside the company. They could be anywhere. They're, they're the ones that you bounce ideas off. They bounce challenges off. They give you advice. They, they're they just like a sounding board for you. They, To Kathy's point, you want to get somebody who's going to be brutally honest with you. That is a, what, that's a mentor. A sponsor is somebody within the company who's in a position of power that will basically, when an opportunity comes up, they will say, I think Annalise would be perfect for that opportunity. She's smart. She'll be successful. I'm essentially sponsoring her. And if she fails, 
that reflects on me because I, re- I recommended her. That is the powerful element of, of, you know, career development is having a sponsor. Mentorships are, mentors are needed, but they're not going to move you up in the organization. The sponsor is going to move you up in the organization. So I just wanted to uh, give you that distinction. Yeah, and I think that's great, Vanessa, because uh, I really see the benefit of being based here in Dublin, Ireland, from my career perspective, helped my career grow to the senior leadership level by sponsoring, by giving me, opening the doors for me to knock the different programs out of the park. And I really don't think my career would have grown if I didn't have that sponsorship at that global level as well to see the diverse and inclusion around uh, women in cybersecurity. Yeah, that's great. I think that's that's also actionable, right? I think a lot of times people don't know where to start, particularly men. They're scared to ask what we need. They're scared to, they're hesitant to say the wrong thing, right? It's a question we get a lot. Like, I don't want to offend somebody. I don't know how to start. I don't know what to do. But it sounds like one simple thing they can do is look around at the junior analyst. Me around how they can help more and their actions that everybody can take on. I think those are great examples. I think they kind of lead into a bigger question. You know, as we're looking at this pandemic, we're going on almost two years right now, how to build a community, how to retain your workforce, how to keep them motivated and engaged. You know, what have y'all seen in terms of, you know, this this massive, like, it's, it's intersecting, it's overlapping, but you see the headlines of the different hacks. You see the millions of jobs that go unfilled every day. You see the issues with discrimination and, you know, there's not equal pay in the workplace and credit and who's listed as like a main author and, and the work that's being done and not credited back to women and just all these different issues going on. So, but there's also an opportunity with remote work. And, you know, like we've mentioned, if the environment is not conducive to productivity for you and in line with your goals, you can move. So are you all seeing like the same thing in, you know, when it comes to hacking with security, with, you know, having access to resources online and this distance learning Like, how does that all fit together, right? I think we're all trying to work through it. But when you look at the pandemic, remote work, having flexible hours, schedules, and then the need and the demand for these like jobs to be filled, how are y'all all all making sense of that in your space, like in your way? Are you seeing the same thing at One Login and in your communities as well? Like, how are y'all managing through that? Uh, I mean... I'll start, but, you know, I think with COVID, you know, and a lot of companies had to kind of move their, who weren't already remote, had to move their workforce remote pretty quickly. I think it just brought to light the lack of security controls that were put in place. And you were, they were, these companies were relying on the, their, their kind of their on-premise environment, their, their office to, to protect these the employees, but didn't have that flexibility in terms of you know, definitely dealing with this crisis. So I think it put a spotlight on all of the catch-up work that companies have to do with security controls. And re- the reality is I think the nature of work has changed now forever. I, I don't think um, we're ever going to go back to the exact model. It's also 
you know, with everybody in the office. I think it's going to be every version of hybrid and, you know, some companies are going to try and mandate that, you know, you, you actually have to come in the office. I think they're going to lose some talent as a result of that because not everybody will choose to do that. So I think flexibility is, is a, is the nature of the future of work. And we as a profession need to, you know, protect people no matter where they're at, no matter what network they're working on, no matter, you know, you know, what specific location, you know, so, and I think the security profession has been um, pushing for this forever. I do think that the IT or a component of of organizations has been pushing back on this. And so I think we're now, I think the security teams are now getting more of a voice in this problem. And so I think that's changed as well. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, one login did a really interesting study last year on 5,000 remote workers during the pandemic to kind of determine what the, you know, what the patterns were and and who it is that was the most likely to not follow the the security policies and the protocols of their organizations. And surprisingly, it was the more senior staff and organizations, the ones that were more reliant on a network of resources that were available to them in the office that no longer had that available to them. They no longer had the IT help desk that they could like, you know, you know, put in a high pride ticket and immediately get help with because there's just so many higher priorities for an IT organization when everybody's remote, right? It's typically the person who's in a customer facing role that has the highest priority ticket when everybody's remote. So, and then there's the, 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 the more junior resources and organizations tend to be tend to be more compliant with security policies. So there were some super interesting things that came out of that study, and I'm sure it's easy enough to find on OneLogin's website. But it really was an interesting view in terms of how the culture had changed. And of course, we've all heard you know, many times from different studies as it relates to the pandemic about you know the impact on women. But I'd like to highlight a silver a silver lining one, if I will, in that, you know, a lot of women have been um, afforded more opportunities to be able to think of different avenues in their career, just because they had a little, have more flexibility to seek opportunities that are remote or more conducive to the hours that, that allow them to get the greatest amount of work-life balance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I know there are a lot of women exiting the workplace, right, exiting the workforce because of child care responsibilities or even, you know, parental. I think a lot of us, particularly millennials and others, are caught in that sandwich generation earlier than expected, right, where you're taking care of maybe parents and grandparents, as well as maybe not kids, but maybe cousins or nieces, nephews, neighbors, you know, we have larger communities sometimes in some of us. And so I think, like you said, like there's opportunity for sure, but it's also still very overwhelming. And so or maybe in the past, you could walk down the hall and, you know, check in with somebody. Now you have to, you know, text or schedule a Zoom and, you know, play dates are different and social events are different. So I think 
there are a lot of opportunities and there's still a lot of, I guess, mismatches when it comes to women and men and where the access points are for those. So hopefully we'll see great opportunities such as these, right, to connect virtually where we may not have had those before. So I think, like you said, there are silver linings where I go back and forth where maybe you had to travel to Vegas, right, to go to this conference and network, but that's been leveraged, leveraged right now. It's been leveled where, you know, if you can pay a registration fee or maybe have that waived, you can just access anything, right, through an internet connection. I guess that kind of led to another question with Annalise. As we're talking about cybersecurity writ large and job opportunities, do you see your peers, like your classmates, interested in cyber as well? I don't think so. I feel like when my younger peers think of cybersecurity, they think of some really, well, it is complicated, just bright LED lights, lots of just random binary on the screen, hacking. And sometimes they get a little bit dissuaded from going into it because it does look a little bit endearing. It's very hard to look at at first when you start to break it down into parts and start to like really pay attention to how all of these different components work with each other it really doesn't seem all that daunting i think cybersecurity needs to be looked at more further than just hacking there's more essential parts to it than just whatever the hollywood makes it out to see and I think cybersecurity, well, at least in some of the spaces I've been in, I never really thought about it, especially in my own coding programs. They don't really talk about it as much. They mainly focus on the web development and all of that. So I do think that there needs to be some more awareness about it, especially as we grow to be more on the internet and we need to fill in these jobs that people aren't really taking up. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. I'm glad to have your perspective. I think one question we like asking high school students a lot is, you know, if you're, if you were an employer and you had an internship opportunity or a coding camp, like how would you market that to high school students? Like, how do you, how do you speak you know what I mean? Like, how do you get through to y'all? Because obviously we're not high school students. We haven't been high school students for a while. But what works? Like, well, how do y'all, what gets y'all's attention? I certainly can't speak for everybody, but I think making it accessible and explicit that it's open and welcome to anybody, despite their skill level or whatever they're into, is really important. Sometimes people are dissuaded because they think, oh, these guys are going to have like, going to be coding since they were like four years old. They know how to do all these things already. So I think it's important to have plenty of uh, role models and people to welcome them. Accessibility, whether it be virtual or being in person and having these in-person programs. I think high school students need flexibility as well. So whether it be self-paced or not. Thank you. I think those are really good insights. I think sometimes, and I love high school student interns. I love hosting interns every summer. 
And it's always so impressive by how much y'all are so mature and can handle so much and manage your time really well. And I think that's something sometimes people forget as we get older that just because somebody's not 18 yet doesn't mean they can't be a fantastic program manager, project manager, business analyst, right? It's just helping to see what that means, breaking it down into actual tasks associated with those roles, which is really exciting to see folks like Nigel and Cyber Warrior Network and Cyber Wraith and trying to make that accessible, right? Instead of something boring and checklist um, oriented, which we all have to deal with in compliance too. So not as fun for, for folks to enter. So thank you for sharing your perspective. I, uh, I think yeah, one for- thing that- I think one thing, Amanda, that is really what Annalise said that's super like important is this concept of like, how do you advertise a job description? How do you, you know, talk about that role? Like, and I think that the language is important and like making, you know, in my experience, when women see like 10 bullets of different skills that you have to have. And women are very like, I've got to have all all 10 of them or else I'm not even going to apply for the job. Whereas men, in my experience, men have like had three of them and like say I'm perfect for the job, you know, like, so like it's, it's really important to kind of like what Annalise said is, is all these, if you're trying to hire people, um, if you're trying to attract them, don't, don't you don't let language and these hardcore qual- qualifications always be like there's still ways to in- talk about that in the interview process. But, you know, be careful uh, of how much you make it strict and like don't let HR dictate everything because you're going to women and we, women need to get better at this, but they'll eliminate themselves even before getting into the process. And that's not good. We need we as women need to work on that. But on the other side, I think organizations need to realize that's a real thing that happens and and need to adjust for that as well. Yeah. And studies have shown that over and over again, that men can have 65% of qualifications and will apply and women have to have over 80, 85%. And on top of that, the language used in these kinds of job requirements can dissuade people. But even beyond that, where a company chooses to post those, if they decide to have recruiters proactively go to, say, historically Black universities and look to find more diverse candidate pools is an expenditure of effort that companies need to be doing more of. And again, there have been lots of studies that the more inclusive a work group is, the more productive they are, the more successful they are. Because having all of these different perspectives, having these different backgrounds allows us to view problems in different ways and find solutions in different ways, which is why I also will tell people, even if you don't have a background in computer science or coding, you can still get into tech because your background is unique and you will be able to bring something that that group hasn't thought about because they maybe all have these comp sci degrees. And so they're looking at it from a really technical perspective and you can help them see it in a different way. Yeah, I love that. I think one of my favorite questions, because I got into cyber through privacy policy and marketing and analytics, social media stuff. And one of my favorite stories of being in the field was when we had a group of people with primarily technical backgrounds at a table and we were trying to figure out at the time it was around like fake news and this is like 2016 and social media and obviously we know the results of that now with the influence on elections through social media but you know 
my background in social media helped because I asked about like organic versus paid content and nobody else had thought of that, right? Everybody was coming from a national security perspective or IT perspective or cyber perspective and that kind of changed the conversation, right? So I think this, it wraps everything that you all have said into one, right? You have to have an environment that is accepting and welcoming of questions. That's a big one of curiosity, of mistakes, of different perspectives, right? And what that means. You have to have an environment where you feel comfortable being at the table and bringing all of your experiences there, right? So if you come from an underrepresented community, you're going to have a different perspective on life. You're going to have a different perspective on artificial intelligence or surveillance or what national security means, right? Like That's just what it is. Everybody has a different lived experience where it comes down to, you know, impact and retention, like y'all were saying, is what happens when somebody raises their hand and asks a question. You know, are you smushed? Are you smothered? Are you shushed? Are you not invited to the next meeting? Are you not invited to the next club gathering? Are you not invited to a gaming meetup? You know, I think those little things matter, right? I know we've talked about like big things and actionable things, but the little things matter too, right? When you're not in the Slack channel anymore or you're not invited, you know, to something or the room gets quiet when you walk in, you know, you feel that there's that tension. And as women, you know, we pick up on that because we're used to picking up on those cues or having to read between the lines because people don't want to say things. And so I think those are all opportunities for others to step in and advocate for safer spaces and more creativity and seeing that as a sandbox, right? We're all still learning in this space. I don't think we all have the answers. But I think having these conversations is exciting because we have different perspectives and different backgrounds and we care, right? We want this space to change. We want it to be strong. And like Vanessa said at the beginning, like it is a war, right? Like we don't have time for these vulnerabilities in our workforce. We have bigger fish to fry than, you know, worrying about equal pay, right? Like let's get equal pay handled so we can fight the fights that we need to fight, right? And recruit and retain folks that we need to retain. So I think that's such a great feedback from all of y'all. I guess the last thing, I don't know if we have any questions from the audience and if they'll be chatted in or if they'll be live, but we have a couple of wrap-up questions. So one, and I'll just pose both of them and y'all can decide which one you want to go with. But one was looking ahead to after school. So after formal school, maybe after high school or after college, like how do you continue learning and growing in cyber coding, gaming, right? What does that look like? How do you stay fresh? And then the other question was around, you know, the future of cybersecurity, the future of gaming, you know, women in this space, yes, but more technical, right? In the field too. Like where do you see women excelling in the field? Is there a particular space that we should be looking at that we should be, you know, researching and making sure that our, our skills are sharp? You know, where do you see opportunities for women in this space? So I guess if you think of it in a big concept, you know, professional development bucket, right? You know, where are the skills, where's the field going? Where do you all see opportunities? I think I'm going to start just because I loved something Annalise said earlier, you know, about, about, you know, thinking about what you want to do. And I think that carefully about what areas you're passionate about like do you like are you kind of like leaning towards tech within tech 
or do you want to do healthcare, or do you want to go into life sciences, or do you, you can really take a cybersecurity career in any space. I mean, and really you, the benefit, the wide benefit of being in cybersecurity is because you're exposed so deeply to the field of that, of that, of that organization, and you really get an opportunity to work within it. So I really, I think that it's very important for women to think about what field of they're interested in, and then you can really have wide open opportunities within cybersecurity. I, I'll add that if you're going to go into cyber into security, cybersecurity area, you, you really have to be a self-learner and you have to be a lifelong learner because whatever you learned two years ago will likely be obsolete and there's new technology and new stuff on the horizon. So you have to really enjoy being a learner. And I've met many people in my career who don't enjoy that. They just want to learn one thing and they want to do that the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's probably not a good fit for a cybersecurity professional. So, and the way you, there's so many great ways to, to learn about things. I mean, there's webinars and there's, you know, books and reading and the, you know, there's just, you know, podcasts and there's just so much out there now. If you really want to learn about a topic, there's so many resources. So, you know, I personally really still love, I listen to audiobooks because I don't have the time to sit down and read. And so while I'm doing something else, I'm listening to an audiobook. And like, I think that just continuing to enrich your knowledge. And then sometimes when I have a specific like project and I don't really understand that new technology, I'll I'll independently go outside of work and I'll go attend a seminar, a session, that, a webinar that, that maybe a vendor is putting on just to learn more about that technology, to be able to ask the questions. Now, as a leader, you don't have to be as deep, but you definitely need to understand the, the general overall aspects of that new technology. So learning is super critical. I'll add in there that onelogin.com slash blog. We have a lot of really great blogs that are written in a way that's super accessible to people that are not really technically knowledgeable that anybody can just sit down and read what is a tabletop exercise and why is it important? Things like that are, I think, a good way to start introducing yourself to these concepts and then be able to identify, oh, I don't really know this term or I don't know that technology and then start focusing on those things too. And it eventually is this whole breadth of knowledge that you've gotten a little bit at a time. Yeah. And I'll decide from the learning side, I think people tend to focus on the cybersecurity, the the technology side of it or the technical side, and they don't really keep their business or their professional development at the same level. So um, every year I, I set a, a professional, a business and a, a technical goal for myself. So I'm um, keeping up on the three so the business would be whatever industry you're working pharmaceutical um e-gaming whatever it is to keep your knowledge up and then professional how you can develop yourself to reach uh, the leadership levels and I think that's what really separates. And when I sit on a board for developing cybersecurity apprenticeship programs, I make sure that they capture those three requirements throughout the two-year program. Neve, do you want to share an example of a goal? Can I put you on the spot? <laughs> an example of 
a goal that I had this year was around my privacy, keeping up to date on all the uh, changes that are happening in the States and the APAC region around privacy. Thank you. So, Kathy or Annalise? Oh, I already went, so I'm going to turn to Annalise. Oh, sorry. So, Annalise, do you want to help us wrap up? So, what do you think in terms of resources after formal education? How do folks stay updated in the field? Certainly, I usually have whatever after school, you know, programs that I have to stay up to date. I have my own groups or communities that I can go to to just talk and we can all get each other up to date on what's happening. I'm not really, I don't like, I don't read a lot. I should, but I don't. So having other people to talk to and being able to digest information more easily is really helpful to keeping up to date. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you. So now we're coming to the end. So just wrapping up, I just want to say we've covered a lot of ground in an hour. If you can believe it, we're already at our hour mark. So I really want to say thank you to Kathy, Vanessa, Neve, Annalise, and Rachel for being here with us today at this Red Team Village at DEF CON. And thank you to One Login for your sponsorship and support of this conversation. I think this is really helpful and definitely content that people will come back to with actionable actions and steps and things that people can do today, right? Where you don't need to wait. And thank you to Cyber Warrior Network for hosting us on your platform. And if folks have any questions, we'll make sure that we update and have our information on the cyber, I'm sorry, on the event page and on the stream. And we're looking forward to the rest of the conference. So thank all of y'all again for being here and have a great day.